All right, let's pray. Lord, we, um, we thank you. We just thank you. You're good. You're a good God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and speak to us through your word, to come open our minds, open the eyes of our hearts to hear you speaking today through your word and through and by your spirit. We open our hearts to you. We say we want to know you more. If we're here gathered together with a group of believers, there's something in us that is hungry, that is at least curious. There is something in us that is searching to know God. And so we say, God, come and reveal yourself today to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Chris. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here, Antioch Salt Lake. My wife, Arlena, and I have the incredible honor of serving this church as uh, the lead pastors of Antioch Salt Lake. And, um, you know, we moved here from Texas. I grew up in Texas. Any Texans in the room? All right, all right. I grew up in Texas, um, and we moved here from Texas last summer to be a part of what God's doing in Salt Lake City and in this valley. Um, growing up in Texas, um, my, my parents were amazing. They loved me incredibly well. I didn't actually grow up in a Christian home. Um, I have been on a long, long journey to kind of get where I, I am today. But I want to tell you a little bit uh, about my dad. My dad... Um, is a great, great man. And growing up, I can remember, I don't know if you can remember these things as a kid, but I can literally remember um, the, the, the smell of my dad's cologne. I feel like I can go back and I, I can remember my dad was an attorney. He was a lawyer. And so every day of his life, he wore suits. And I can remember my dad hugging me as a little kid. I can remember what his starched suits felt like and the smell of his cologne. And, and he had a mustache when I was a little kid, and I can I feel like I can remember like right now what it felt like for him to kiss me on the cheek and to feel his mustache kind of poke me as he kissed me on the cheek. And and my dad was a great dad. He was um, busy, successful. He was a high-powered Texas trial lawyer, very successful, but I cannot remember um, a sporting event or some activity that my dad wasn't present for. He was very, very present in my life, supportive, kind, successful. And of course, growing up in Texas, come on, fellas, he taught me all the important things in life, like how to hunt, clean a gun, handle a gun safely, how to fish, all right? He taught me how to drive a car, how to open a bank account. In many, many ways, I was fathered very well by my dad. All of us have different experiences with our dads, right? All of us have different memories, some really fond, some probably really hard. And as good of a man as my dad is, and as good as, as he really did father me, um, he was not a man of faith. And to this day, he is not a man of faith. And so he was never very spiritually involved in my life and in my journey growing up. He actually took the opposite approach. He had this belief that he should just kind of hands off, let his kids figure out what they wanted to believe kind of on your own. Say, on my own. I realized as I was writing this how many times I wrote on my own. He wanted me to find my own beliefs on my own. In many ways, I grew up as a spiritual orphan, left to navigate the complexities of a faith journey 
on my own. Somebody say, on my own. I came to Christ in college on my own in my dorm room. And my newfound faith and love for Jesus kind of made me the black sheep of my family in many regards. So as I walked with God throughout my college years and beyond, I pretty easily identified, we believe in the Christian faith that God exists as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is a triune God. It's a mystery, but he exists as three in one. He is one God who manifests himself in the invisible creator who we call the heavenly Father, who became, word became flesh and walked on the earth. His name was Jesus. He came to bear the curse of sin and die on a cross and resurrect from the grave. And Jesus resurrected from the grave, ascended back to heaven, and sent the Holy Spirit. And if you are a student of the New Testament or familiar with the Orthodox faith, you can see the three members of the Godhead working in this incredible um, redemptive plan and story together, all fulfilling these, these different roles. And so in college, it was very easy for me to connect with Jesus. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, me and Jesus, we were tight. I connected with him as my friend. I connected with him as my savior, one who rescued me from my sin. I connected him as my redeemer, one of my favorite names for Jesus. He, he took me up out of the pit. He redeemed all that was really just devastated in my life, and he, and he made me new through his blood. He set me free. And I connected with Jesus, but it was always really hard for me to connect with my God as my father. And honestly, it was pretty frustrating at times, but I remember back in 2013, a good friend encouraged me, was like praying for me one day, and she said, you know, I think that you're about to enter into a season where you learn God as your father. Check this out. Over the next six and a half years, I had five kids. (laughs) I think this lady heard from God or something, okay? I had five kids in the next six and a half years. My entire world revolves around being a father. Before I'm a pastor, before I'm anything else in our community, we live, eat, drink, sometimes sleep in the land of parenthood. And I've steeped in that world. And honestly, it has completely changed my life. And being a father has completely, under, completely transformed my ability to understand God as a father. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a challenging thing. But I remember once being so frustrated on my journey with God. You ever feel frustrated in your journey with God? Yeah. Thanks for the four of you that were honest. The rest of you guys can repent to your neighbor later, okay? You ever feel frustrated on your journey with God? There's just some wall, there's something, right? I just remember in college and beyond being so frustrated with this wall as God, God is my father. And I just so bad, I was like, gosh, I, why do I struggle to connect with God in that way? And I was reading this story that I want to pull us into in Luke chapter 19, um, and I want you to go ahead and flip to Luke chapter 19. We're going to read a story about Zacchaeus, okay, because I have this belief. You know that there's a few different names 
Um, God has an enemy in the scriptures. Uh, God has an enemy. His name is Satan. And Satan in the scriptures opposes everything that God stands for. Everything that is good, everything that is right, everything that is true, everything that is light. He opposes. He's the false king of this earth. He reigns over what is called a domain of darkness. And one of his names in the scripture is a thief. And so I have this belief about Satan as a thief, and I got this revelation from this man, Zacchaeus, who was also a thief. We're going to read the story in a second. But I had this conviction that anything in my life, because of the story we're about to read, that where I feel like has been stolen from me, any place in my life where there's been loss because of sin, because of Satan, because of this thief, that I have the biblical right to ask for it back because of this story. Check this out. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. That's beautiful. Zacchaeus was not a good guy. Tax collectors in these days, they were extortionists. They worked on behalf of the Roman government and they would exact taxes, but they would exact more than what you actually owed. They'd skim off the top and they would get rich. Zacchaeus was rich because he was a thief and people hated this man. And he knew he was hated I don't know what drove you to Jesus, but what drove Zacchaeus to Jesus was he knew how much of a scumbag he was. He had no friends. And so he comes to see who Jesus was. Isn't that amazing? But on account of the crowd, he could not. Okay, hold up, church. How sad is it? Let it not be said of us that there are people that want to see Jesus, but on account of the crowd, they're not able to. I just read that. I was like, oh man, let that never be us. That people that want to see Jesus don't get a glimpse because of us. But he was also a a, a short guy. He was small in stature, okay? So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree. I like this guy. He's resourceful. And he went, he climbed up to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he walked right up to the base of Zacchaeus' tree. He looked up at him and he said, Zacchaeus, come on, hurry, get down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried, came down, and received him joyfully. And when the people saw it, they grumbled. Jesus has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner? Oh, man, first the crowds are keeping this hungry man from seeing Jesus, and then when Jesus goes right to the man in town who probably needs him the most, they're complaining about it. Check out what happens next. Zacchaeus stood, and he said to the Lord, remember, this man's a rich thief, He said, the half of my goods I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore. Somebody say restore. Restore it fourfold. I don't know what Jesus said to Zacchaeus. We don't know in the story. I don't know if he said anything. But apparently it was enough for Jesus to just get close to this man for him to start to repent. For him to start to turn away, that's what that word, if you're new to church or the Bible, the word repent just means to turn away. 
for him to turn away from his life as a thief and an extortionist and say, I'll give half my wealth to the poor and pay back anyone fourfold that I have stolen. He got close to Jesus enough to realize how deeply he needed repentance. He repented of his way of life. And then Jesus exclaims this, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. Read this verse with me. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. I want to talk in a second about asking God for what sin has stolen from your life. We're going to go back there in a minute. I'm going to talk about how I believe biblically because Satan is the thief that we're going to read that verse in a minute. And because Zacchaeus was a thief that anything that sinner Satan have robbed in your life because of this story, I believe you have the right to ask for it back fourfold. But we are in a season as, as a church called Those Who Dream. And Those Who Dream is from Psalm 126, verse 1 and 2. Let's get it up there. It says, when the Lord restored, someone say restored, restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things. I believe that we are in a season of restoration and renewal. It's been a tough couple years, amen? I don't care who you are. I don't care what you believe. I don't know, care what your job is. It's been a tough couple of years. It's so good to see your face back over there. I'm so glad you're here. But God, I believe, is a God of restoration. Do you believe that? Do you know that that is who he is? Do you know that restoration is so fundamental to the heart of God, to his character and who he is, that just like Zacchaeus, you can't even get close to him without things in your life starting to get restored to the way that they're meant to be? God is a God of restoration. And what we've been saying over the last few weeks in this season is that it's a season from, of rising from the disappointments of yesterday and daring to dream again for the God appointments of tomorrow. We've, we have been beaten back for long enough, church. It's time to rise up again. It's time to dream again. And this is fundamental to God's nature. He is a restorer. Check it out, Psalm 23, famous scriptures. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Read it with me. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, and he restores my soul. Do you believe that God wants to restore your soul? Do you believe that he can? Psalm 7120 says, you who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up. God is a restorer. He's a restorer of our souls. I had a mentor that would say it like this. The Hebrew language in the scripture talks about your soul, talks about your body, and talks about your spirit. There are these three different components of being a human being. And I had a mentor that would say it like this. Hang with me. I am a spirit. I have a soul. I live in a body. I want you all to say that with me. I am a spirit. I have a soul. I live in a body. You are created eternally. You are a spirit. You were created, actually Hebrews says, by the father of spirits. That's why when you die and they put your body in the grave, you're actually not done. 
your spirit goes on because you are a spirit. You have a soul and you live in a body. All right? And so your soul is, in the Hebrew language, is your mind, will, and emotions. And so if God restores my soul, man, that's some good news, right? Because our mind has been under attack these last couple years, right? I mean, your will, maybe your willpower is not as strong as you thought it was. Your emotions, man, if you're like me, I'm a feeler. My emotions have been all over the place the last couple years. Like, God, restore my soul. Do you know that God is a restorer? He wants to restore your soul. But look, It's not just he wants to restore your soul. He wants to restore your body. And I believe that this is why Jesus walked with such a healing ministry when he walked on the earth. I mean, it's like every other time he turned a corner, a leper was getting healed. A paralyzed guy was getting up and walking. The blind were seeing. What's up with that? Why was healing so central to Jesus' ministry? It was because of a couple things. Number one, because it's God's heart to restore things. And everything that is broken, even down to our bodies, has been broken by sin. And Isaiah prophesied in the Old Testament that when the Messiah came, he would restore, he would carry our infirmities and our diseases. And so when Jesus walked in a powerful healing ministry, he was demonstrating, I came to restore your soul. I came to restore your body. But it's not just that he wants to restore your soul and wants to restore your body. Ultimately, Jesus came to restore our spirits. He came to restore our spirits into relationship with God. And now it's crazy. These are all connected. Check this out. Sometimes, because you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body, sometimes you will manifest physical pain that has nothing to do with your body and everything to do with your spirit, everything to do with your soul. And the world even testifies to this. The world even testifies that stress and anxiety, which is soul-level stuff, leads to physical ailments. Oh, man, where's cancer come from? Where's this and that come from? Where do we get all these physical diseases? We, We try to dumb it down and say there's always some scientific physical reason, but even the world acknowledges that there are mental causes for what manifests in our bodies. But when Jesus walked the earth, he healed everyone's body. He started there. That's what they could see. Their brokenness was not just rooted in their body, but he was starting there to demonstrate God's heart to restore all things. Are you with me? But ultimately, Jesus came not just to heal our bodies, not just to restore our minds, our souls, our emotions, but ultimately to renew our spirits into right relationship with God, which brings me back to the Father. And my lifelong journey to connect and know him as a father, and as we were praying for this message today as a team We don't just come up here and and shoot blindly and say, cool, what's 
what, what's in God's word today? Let's just see roulette, you know, let's just like preach a roulette. Oh, cool. Ezekiel 24, you know, it's like we're seeking God saying, what are you highlighting? What do you want to do right now? And we felt like God was really, really highlighting who he is as a father and what sometimes if that we will call the orphan mindset. And so I want you guys to flip with me to Luke 15, to another familiar story. But I wanted to lay that foundation that God is a God of restoration, And everything that Jesus came to do was to rebuild, repair, and restore. This passage gives us an incredible glimpse into the restoration of our relationship with God. Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. I know y'all know this story. Don't check out on me here because you ain't ever heard it like you're about to hear it today. Not because I'm a great preacher, but because every time the word of God is preached, the Holy Spirit breathes on it in a new way. So you might be in church your whole life. And I promise if you check out on this story right now, you're gonna miss what God has for the restoration of your soul, spirit, and body today. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, Say it with me. Give me the share of the property that is coming to me. I want you to focus on the words give in this passage. Give me the share of the property. He divided his property between the two sons. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property with reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I want to stop for a second. I want you to see the more than enough bread that existed in his father's house. He had no idea the abundance he was living in until he left it, squandered all of it, and ended up with nothing. And he's sitting there wishing he could eat pig slop going, there's more than enough in my father's house. What I want to say before we keep into this, before I go into this, is that sometimes as children of God, we starve needlessly. There is more than enough bread in the house of God. And we go off and we find ourselves in need and in hunger. And we're going, why am I so hungry? Why am I starving spiritually? Why am I struggling with hunger? And it's not because God's not good enough. It's just because you left. His house, say it with me, has more than enough bread. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. He's not talking about whole wheat or white or multigrain or vegan or whatever you sprouted, whatever kind of bread is your flavor of the day. He's talking about his word. When we walk away from the house of God, we walk away from the word of God and our souls starve for lack of bread, all right? So he goes, I'm gonna arise. I'm gonna go home, man. And I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. Great start, 
Okay, great start. If that's you and you're realizing, oh man, I've been starving because I left my father's house, that's a great start, okay? I have sinned against heaven and against you. And he says, I'm no longer worthy. Okay, well, he's going down here. He's going downhill a little bit. I get the sentiment, right? He said, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He's underestimating his dad's character. No longer worthy to be called your son. What a drama king, right? Oh, just, he goes on, just make me one of your slaves. Treat me as your hired servant. So he goes, he gets out of the pig pen. He comes running to the father. I love this man. While he was still a long way away, his father saw him. What was the father doing that enabled him to see his son when he was still a long way away? He was looking. He was scanning the horizon every day. If you're a father, you know the heartbreak that this man was living in every single day because his son had bailed. Whoa, Holy Spirit, come. All right. Just had a whole crash over there. All right. This father was living in heartache every day. I, lo- I told this story a few months back. I lost two of my boys out on a property in Texas for like 13 minutes one day and turned into like a raging lunatic, okay, because I didn't know where my kids were. I don't know how long this son was away, but I know that the father's heart ached every single day. Ached every day. He saw him from a long way off. He felt compassion and he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. And the son said, Father, I've sinned. I've sinned against heaven and before you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He couldn't get the part out about being a slave. The father cut him off and said, Bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. Shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate at the return of the younger son. Now his big brother, the older son, was in the field. As he came back in from working a long day on the father's property, he got closer to the house. He heard music, heard dancing. And he called one of the servants and he said, what's going on? What's this mean? And he said, your, your brother's come. Your father's killed the fattened calf. He's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go into the party. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, he said, look, these many years, big brother, man, this, if you're the big brother, you know this right here. Look, I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Do you see how this story is revolving around these sons and their, their perception of God's giving, the father's giving? It starts by him saying, give me my inheritance, He ends up in the pig pen, and no one would give him anything. And then it ends with his big brother saying, you never gave me. See, both of these brothers are acting like orphans. 
Both of these brothers have a mindset of their father that is incorrect. Both of these brothers are, are, are lacking in their understanding of what their father has given to them or has made available. They're just coming at it from different ends of the spectrum. One's a rebellious orphan who ran off and squandered it. The other is a self-righteous orphan who's still sitting in the house. And this is what the father says. When this son of yours, he's still telling his, the big brother, when the son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me. All that is mine is yours. But it was fitting to celebrate and be glad because this, your brother, was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. I want to talk to you about the nature of the orphan mindset or what we sometimes call the orphan spirit. Because in this story, we see, as I just said, we see an orphaned mindset in operation in both of these brothers in different ways. The nature of the orphan mindset has to do with need versus abundance. I want you to track that, that whole idea. In the father's house, there was more than enough bread. The whole story revol revolves around giving, you know, give me my inheritance, give me my resources. He squanders it. He has nothing. And he, no one would give him anything. He's looking at his father's house saying, but there's still an abundance over there, right? There's all, this, the, the whole mentality of an orphan revolves around need versus abundance. In other words, it has to do with our perception of what we have. Our perception of what God has given to us. Is it enough? Say that with me. Is it enough? Has what God has given me, is it enough? Do I have enough? Check out Psalm 34, 8 through 10. This is my favorite scripture that I believe highlights the opposite of the orphan spirit. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. The orphaned mindset has to do with need versus abundance, lack versus more than enough. Are you with me? So how do you know if you struggle with an orphan mindset? I want to give you a, a few questions that came to, my, to mind, and, and listen, the only reason, I, I say this truly, and I'm going to get back to my story. I told you guys at the, at the beginning of this message that in a lot of ways, I was a spiritual orphan growing up. And so the only reason why I can teach on this so clearly is because I have struggled for 20 years in my walk with God to get free from an orphan mindset. So can I just tell you, you are about to get pinned and probably most of this room, you're going to self-identify, wow, I have an orphan mindset, and I didn't even know it. 
I'm living in my father's house, and I didn't even know it. And I'm telling you, there is no condemnation in this house, okay? The only reason I can preach this stuff with clarity is because I've battled through it myself for so many years, okay? So here's four questions. How do you know if you struggle with an orphan mindset like these brothers in this story? Do you regularly feel like you do not have enough? Do you regularly feel that you do not have enough? Do you struggle, number two, do you struggle being content with what you have? Do you look at your life and feel a sense of, I am blessed and I am content? Or is there always a hunger or a need or a drive for more? Remember, the youngest son lived, lived in the father's abundant house. And it wasn't enough for him. He said, give me my share. Philippians 4, 10 through 13, on the issue of contentment, he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. He's talking about them blessing his ministry, Paul's ministry, with a financial gift of provision. But he said, not that I'm speaking of being in need. This is the opposite of an orphaned mindset. Check this out. For I have learned in whatever situation I am, to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Remember how I said the orphaned mindset primarily is dealing with need versus abundance. And then famous Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Contrary to popular uh, athletic belief, Tim Tebow, whoever else you want to, that writes Philippians 4.13, this is the most famous scripture um, that you will see if you turn on an NCAA football game, basketball game, right? This is what all the athletes put on their jersey, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It has nothing to do with passing a football, dunking a basketball, hitting a home run, being the fastest guy. I'm not trying to judge these guys. They, they, they go for it. I don't care. But I'm just saying, you, if you pull the word of God out of the context of the word of God, you get an entirely different meaning. It's all about learning the secret of contentment learning the secret of knowing who your father is and whether you're in a season where you have an abundance or where you're facing some real need in your life. I'm not saying that as a child of God, you will never encounter need. I'm saying Psalm 34 says that those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. What I am saying is, is that when you seek the Lord, you always find more than enough. You always find an abundance for every need. He is available for your contentment in any and every situation. And so back to our list. If you regularly feel like you don't have enough, if you struggle with contentment, remember, no condemnation. The only reason I can write these questions is because this has been my primary struggle for the last 20 years of following Jesus, okay? Do you practice gratitude or complaining? The people that live around you in your life, would they say, wow, wow. That guy's the most thankful guy I've ever spent time around. 
Or would they be like, that guy's kind of always complaining about something. If you're a complainer, you're an orphan in your spirit. You're focusing on what you do not have and not on the abundance of God. Get Psalm 34 back up there for me, Taylor. Those who see, we have to understand this. I am not saying that you will always, as a child of God, have abundant financial resources. Remember, he looked at his father's house and said, there's more than enough bread. But I'm saying that the, those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. We're talking about a spiritual reality of always knowing that in God, you have enough. The fourth thing is how you might know if you struggle with an orphan mindset. Do you struggle, like me, to connect with God as a father who loves you, protects you, provides for you, and fights for you? Do you struggle to connect with God as a father? I'm just going to be bold. I want somebody to be bold here. If you've struggled at any point to connect with God, or you would say that is a current struggle to identify with God as your father, I want you to just throw your hand up in the air with me because I'm going to give you a book. Joe, I've already given you this book. I think I've already given you this book too. I have a copy on you. Who wants, who legit, just come up here. I'm going to give it to you right here, man. Come on. What's your name? Matthew, dude, I'm glad you're here today. I just gave him a book called Fathered by God. We have it in our bookstore, and it is incredible because this is so common. This is so common, men especially. I don't know why this is deeper and harder for men. Men especially have a hard time connecting with God as Father, but it's not exclusive to men. But it is always connected like it was for me to your relationship with your dad growing up. And so this book, Fathered by God, is a journey of stepping into a restoration process. Remember, God is a restorer of all things. That is his heart. Everything that Jesus came to do is to restore us, soul, body, and spirit. I'm gonna have the band come up here in a second. Before you guys move, I just want to say this one thing because I want us to hear this church. In this season of dreaming with God, we're going to be unpacking a lot because we believe God has us in this city on purpose for a purpose and that our dreams on his heart, purposes that he wants to invite us into. And honestly, I'm fired up about it. There's a lot of them. A few weeks ago, we unpacked that one of the dreams on God's heart for this house is that we, be, we learn how to sing to the Lord, that there's a worship movement that is bubbling up in this valley. When we inherited this space, we inherited a recording studio right over there. We have people on our staff that they're... they're their single-minded job is to help us stir up a new song in Utah, new songs from people here of worship to the Lord. And we played one of them a couple of weeks ago, and God moved. And so we believe that God is inviting us as a church to dream with him and to release new songs. We're not trying to, I'm not talking about release like, oh, cool, Apple. I don't care about any of that. I want to release a song to the Lord that comes up from this valley. And so we're doing that. And it requires obedience and partnership and stewardship, okay? We're singing to the Lord. But just like we saw in the earlier story with Zacchaeus, the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. 
the second dream that we're going to be leaning into for the next couple weeks is God's dream to see the lost saved. It is why Jesus came. I said last week on Easter Sunday that if you are a follower of Jesus and you're looking for your purpose in life, the Great Commission is your mission to go therefore and testify of what you've experienced and see others become disciples of Jesus, right? But there, if we're going to, and there's more. I mean, we're just like scratching the surface. I can't wait to tell you about what God has called our, our family to in this city. We are staying downtown for a reason because God has called us to a ministry to those that are struggling with homelessness, to those that are broken on our streets. And there's a mighty stirring. Many of you are in this room and it's already happening. And we are partnering with God's heart to reach what the scripture calls the least of these, the broken, the downcast, the downtrodden. We're staying in downtown because that's where they are. So we're going to sing to the Lord. We're going to seek the lost. We're going to serve the least. There's more dreams on God's heart, but this is why we have to stop here at the orphan mindset first. Listen, church, listen, listen. If we are going to dream with God, we have to break with a scarcity mentality. If we are going to step into his dreams and the things he wants to do in this city, I don't care if there are 170 people in this room like there were on Easter Sunday or 70 like there are today or my son, we're greeting people, it's four o'clock and there are about three of y'all in here at four o'clock. And he's like, dad, nobody's coming today. I said, Levi, I don't care. I said, if there's one person in that room I'm going to preach that God is a God of restoration. Matter of fact, if none of y'all showed up, I'd preach it to him, honestly, okay? Because it's who he is. And I literally cannot tell you how many seasons of my 20 years walking with the Lord and 13 years walking with Arlena, my wife, and eight and a half years of walking as a dad to five little kids, how many times I have hit a spot in the road where I felt so stretched thin, so beaten down, so discouraged. I couldn't fathom how I was going to keep going. And the one thing that pulled me through was knowing that God is a God of restoration, which means no matter where I'm at today, he is going to be there tomorrow. And if I stay close to him, close to his word, close to his presence, close to his people, he will restore my soul. Will it take time? Sure. But he will always rebuild, repair, and restore. And we've got to let him do that with us We've got to break off these orphaned mindsets about scarcity and there's never enough and I'm complaining and I'm grumbling and there's never enough and there's not enough and I'm not content. We've got to break with that stuff because there are some wild dreams on his heart and we're not going to access them living like orphans. Are you with me? Okay, I want us to stand. Band, come up here. If this is your first time at Antioch Salt Lake, we sing at the end of our worship service too. We do about a song, song and a half at the end. We call it response. Because Jesus taught to not be a hearer of the word, say it with me, church, but to be a doer of the word, right? And so you just heard the word of God. 
right? You just heard, a, I threw a, a lot of scripture at us today, right? And there's an opportunity every time we hear the word of God to decide, am I going to do anything about that? Am I going to just go out? Hey, cool, what, what's for dinner this evening? Man, that, that guy was pretty excited about something. I'm not really sure what, but <laughs> are we going to do something with what we've heard? And so I felt like there was an invitation. I want to invite um, a couple of our just like fathers and mothers. Sometimes when we respond in worship, we also make room to receive prayer. And there's a, there's a lot of power, just like in Zacchaeus, when he got close to Jesus and there was something holy happening where he immediately wanted to change. He immediately wanted to, to repent. And there's sometimes power in being able to go to a spiritual mother or a spiritual father and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's me, man. I am that rebellious orphan that ran away from the house and I need to come home. Or man, I am that self-righteous older brother orphan that's in the house but acting like a baby, like God never gives me anything. I wanna ask you, have you asked him to restore it? Have you? Have you asked him to restore what sin stole from you? Have you asked him to restore what Satan stole from you? You can't ask until you get back to the house. Oh, but did you see in this story how quick the father was to throw the robe on him, to throw the ring on his finger, to throw the shoes on his feet? Did you see the father was literally waiting? Eyes on the hills, God said eyes on the hills. Isaiah 30 says it like this. He says, this is what the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel has said. In repentance and in rest, you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. This is so sad right here in the middle, but you weren't willing. But therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Can you see the father on his front porch looking out at the horizon, just waiting? Oh man, is today the day that I'm going to see my son come up over the hill? Longing to be gracious. He's not longing to scold you. He's longing to have compassion on you. He is longing to throw his arms around you, to kiss you, to put the robe back on you. He's not even going to let you get your excuse story all the way out of your mouth before he throws that robe around you and says, kill the fattened calf. Because look, don't miss this. We celebrated Good Friday, okay, a couple weeks ago, okay? Something died for him to come home. There was a sacrifice made for that celebration to happen. Don't miss that in this story. Oh, there was a price that was paid for him to get the robe, for him to get the ring, for him to get the new shoes. Why? Because he was working in a pig pen. Look, when you've been working in a pig pen and all of a sudden you run home to daddy's house, do you think he wants you, number one, bringing your crap into his estate? No, no, he doesn't. But listen, listen, it's not just that. He doesn't want you walking around and every time you look at your feet, you remember your past. So he throws new shoes on you because he says, look, it's a new season. I don't need you to stay in the remembrance of where you were. Oh, he's such a good father. He's such a good father. He's so much better than we know. And so in my life, in my relationship with my father, I'm going to tie this thing back around. I got to a point where I was so frustrated 
And I said, God, you, Zacchaeus restored fourfold what, was, what he stole. And I believe that the enemy's stolen something in my life. And so, God, I want to ask it back for you fourfold. And I prayed. I said, God, I want to know your heart as a father. I want that in my life, and I want it fourfold. At that point, we had four kids. We had three boys. And one girl. And we were pregnant with our fifth. Arlena really wanted another daughter three boys, two girls I mean perfect, right but I had prayed God I want to know your heart as a father fourfold and we found out that our fifth was a boy and I didn't even get it and I'm journaling one day, I'm spending time with the Lord and I'm wrestling with him as my father and he said Chris don't you see he reminded me of Zacchaeus don't you see why you're about to have a fourth son years ago you asked me to restore fatherhood to you fourfold and so I am giving you four boys so that you can know the heart of a father for his son not one time not two times not three times but fourfold I want you to know my heart for you my boy if you know Brooks our fifth fourth boy fifth child He put to rest for me. In a lot of ways, my struggle to know God as my father. Have you asked him? Have you asked him? Have you asked God? I believe you have the right to ask him fourfold. What did it steal from you? What was stolen from you? So we're going to respond. I want to, Staley's um, Pledgers, just some moms and dads, go to the back of the room, okay? Uh, Thomas and Mary, if you guys want to, um, who, are, who else is fathers in this house? Moms and dads in this house. Uh, uh, Pete, you guys, Pete and Jenny, if you guys want to go back, I just want to make available a prayer team of moms and dads. If you need to talk to somebody, if you need a spiritual mother, if you need to run back to a spiritual father, they're back there. They would love to pray for you. But I also know some of y'all on the prayer team, I know all you guys, you might need to turn to your neighbor and get some prayer yourself. That's okay. All right? I know I still do. So God, we just say, restore, restore our hearts to you, Father, today. Restore our souls to you today, Father. Restore our spirits today, Lord. Restore us to your heart, Jesus' name.